I'll hand over to Andrew. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Very gloomy. Good morning. I can see you. There's a bit more room here. If you don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm an assistant pastor at King's, based here at Bexhill Venue. So I've been over in Hastings, but lovely to come back to you. And today, I had the real privilege of starting a new preach series. If you were with us last autumn, you might remember we looked together at Paul's letter to the Romans, and at chapters 1 to 4, with the title, The Gospel, God's Power for Salvation. And this autumn, we're coming back to that same letter, and we're going to look at chapters 5 to 8, with the title, The Gospel, God's Power for Christian Living. You might remember this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, so one of the guys who Jesus commissioned to get the early church going. In around 57 AD, so we're kind of 25 years after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to be back with God the Father. And this is a church Paul hasn't actually visited. He didn't plant this church. He's not yet visited them. But he wants to go to Rome to see these guys on his way to Spain. And he's hoping they will help him to get across to Spain so he can preach the gospel there. And he's also heard stuff about this church. He's heard there are divisions and problems, particularly between Jewish and Gentile Christians within the church. So one of the things he's doing is talking to them about the gospel, to show how the gospel unites us all together in whatever divisions might be there. And so those first four chapters we looked at last uh, autumn were all about God's power to save revealed in the gospel, in the good news of what God has done in sending his son. And we looked at chapters 1 through to the halfway through chapter 3, which basically bring the bad news, which has to come before the good news. You see, before Paul can get to the good news of the gospel, he has to explain the problem that we face. The bad news, the problem is that every single one of us starts our life under the wrath of God, under the just and fair and right condemnation and punishment of God. Because he explains all of us failed in our obligations to our Creator. The creator God made us, and we look around, we can see from what he's made that he exists. We can see bits of what he's like, and yet we fail to live a life of thanks and of worship to him. We fail in those obligations, and therefore we stand under his judgment and under his condemnation. And in chapter 2, Paul kind of turned around, and he looks to the kind of religious Jews reading this, thinking, yes, aren't those pagan idol worshippers terrible people? I'm glad I'm not like them. And he says, actually, you're just as bad as they are. You say not to do it, but you do it anyway. And you might think that having the law and being circumcised or translated to our day, it might be going to church or being a good person, kind of protect you from the judgment of God. But he says, no, those things don't do it. The, the heart is what matters. A, a renewed heart is what God is looking for, not anything external. And he gets to the point where he reaches this very gloomy conclusion that no one is righteous. No one can have a right legal standing before God. All of us are under judgment and condemnation from God. But it's against that very dark, gloomy background that the light of the gospel comes and breaks in. You see, he explains that the just God has made a just way that he might justify sinners. Because God couldn't overlook sin. He, he longed to be restored to relationship with us, but he couldn't just ignore what we'd done. He couldn't brush it under the carpet. He is a just God. He can only do things that are just and fair. And so he sent his son. His son who comes and dies as a substitute, as a sacrifice, who pays the penalty that we needed to pay so that God can justly forgive us and declare that we are not guilty and we are righteous. We have a right legal standing before him. And the last chapter we looked at, chapter 4, he showed all of that is received by faith. 
just as it's always been. He points to Abraham and David in the Old Testament. It's always been that God's people are justified by faith, which means it's not by doing lots of good stuff and earning it like a wage. It's by reaching out and taking hold of it by faith, like receiving a gift, by trusting in that promise. And so those chapters were all in a sense about present salvation. How do we know right here, right now, that we are saved, that we are justified in a right legal standing before God? And when we turn to chapter 5, as we're going to do with this series, we reach a new section of the letter and kind of a slightly different new focus. 1 to 4 about present salvation, and now 5 to 8, Paul particularly is thinking about future salvation. So it's all very well knowing that right here, right now, I put my faith in Jesus, I've been justified by him, but I will still have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How do I know that when that day comes, at the end of the timeline, as it were, how do I know I will still be found righteous, still be justified on that day? And that's really the big question that Paul wrestles with in these chapters. And as he does that, he focuses a lot on Christian life. He thinks, well, what's the life look like now, which will be justified then? Which is why we've called this series, The Gospel, God's Power for Christian Living. Because these chapters are jam-packed full of stuff which can equip us as we seek to follow Jesus day by day. So today we'll start with the first 11. Father God, we thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you for the glorious truths that we read in this passage. Thank you that for any one of us who's been justified by faith, we have full and total acceptance before you. We have peace with God. We stand under your grace showering down upon us. Our God today, would we see that and know that and step into that. I pray that guilt and shame and condemnation today would drop off and would be cast away as we see and take hold of what you say over us. I pray Lord for those who are suffering. I pray Lord please will today be a day when actually even in the midst of genuine pain there can be rejoicing because you are doing good in it. Would you come and comfort and sustain and grow hope in that. And for all of us I pray God please would you grow our hope for that day. Would we leave this place more excited about the hope of the glory of God than we came in. Would you, Holy Spirit, come and minister the love of the Father into our hearts as we reflect on what the Son has done in laying down his life for us? And would you give us a a sure and certain confidence for that day as we see the vastness of what you have done for us, which guarantees what you will do on that day? Oh, Lord, we pray, please come and work in our hearts. Help us to step into this, to take hold of this, and then to respond to you with our love and our adoration and love. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contentment all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. survey the 
Thank you. 
in the prayer meeting this morning and sort of through the morning um, to pray for anyone who has their ME, chronic um, fatigue syndrome. Um, I've never had it myself. Um, I just felt the Lord sort of lay it on my heart, really, because I think when you have it, it's a bit like walking uphill all the time. It's a real struggle. But if you've got ME or if uh, you're maybe close to someone who, who has it, because I think if you're close to someone who has it, it it's a struggle for you as well because you're walking with them. Uh, it would be lovely to be able to pray for you and, and just ask the Lord to come into that situation. I'll be at the front and other people can join to pray if you would like to be prayed with and for. Great. Thanks, Clive. And uh, yeah, I mean, if there's any other areas you'd like prayer for, please do come down as we close. We'd love to just spend a bit of time praying together. And uh, I don't know what you take away from this morning. I thought it was an excellent talk from Andrew. So thank you for that. Um, but I really like that picture of Eeyore, Eeyore you know. And I, I know that some of us can be like that, can't we? We can walk around with that little dark cloud. But then that counter thought that God has that grace cloud over you when you're at work, when you're in the classroom, when you're going about your business, that little grace cloud that follows you into all. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? And I, I love that thought, and I'm going to take that away. You know, that actually, yeah, I want to walk minute by minute in that grace cloud that God has for me. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's been great to be together. So we're happy to pray with you. If you want to sign up for Connect Groups, you can do that upstairs. Um, other than that, thank you again for your generosity for the gift day. £141,000. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Amen. Thanks for being with us.